Welcome to our Sport Feels Life podcast, where we're bringing you interviews with coaches and athletes at the top of their game. This is a community to support coaches, athletes, and fans who share a passion for making the world a better place through athletics. We are your hosts. I'm Megan. And I'm Scott. Welcome to Sport Feels Life. Have you ever been the first to not making the starting lineup or even the team? Today, we are very excited to share with you a story of perseverance at the highest level of athletics that led into a coaching career. In today's podcast, we feature a two-time Olympian who has coached at multiple D1 universities and has experienced, in our opinion, the most difficult position to finish at the Olympic trials, fourth place. Here to share his experiences and help you grow through the ups and downs and life lessons learned in sport, we bring to you Cadavis Robinson. It's really nice to meet you, and um, thanks for joining us again here on our podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, so when you hear the word Sport Fuels Life, or you get reached out to from Sport Fuels Life, what first comes to mind? Um, well, if you just use the words, you know, you say that how sports fuels life, you know, and that's kind of my background, to be quite honest. Yeah, I was just actually in a, uh, a meeting, and I was talking about that for some individuals and for some kids in particular, uh, it's kind of what keeps them motivated, keeps them on the right track. And it's funny because I consult and I mentor and I have a couple of like really high-end professionals that are really successful, like doctors and stuff like that. And then I tell you, they 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 will not miss a day without running or, or cycling or swimming or whatever. And it's like, man, you are, you, you're a physician. You're doing really, really well. And they're like, I'm going on vacation to Switzerland. What, what should I run on Monday? And I'm like, it's vacation, just enjoy it. <laughs> they can't stop. But you, yeah, they just they it's part of who they are, you know, it's part of what they do. Well, I think that's a great uh, a great start and explanation, understanding why uh, anybody who is an athlete or not an athlete can still be fueled both from sport and uh, just exercise in general. Um, yes. So, but to get a little bit of background for uh, for our listeners, uh, you are the current uh, men's and women's head cross country coach uh, and distance track and field coach at, at Ohio State, correct? correct yeah and so um i guess one how did you get there and two uh that'll kind of go into a long segue about uh, your sports background and career and we'll, we'll probe some questions out of that as well yeah so i you know i played sports pretty much every sport in, in elementary middle and high school uh thought i was gonna be a football player uh really played a lot of football and got to high school and uh, my football coach said, you know what, we want all our receivers and running backs and, and all those types of people to play, to run track. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to run track and there's, there's girls out there. So let me, let me go out there and check out the girls and run at the same time. Uh, so I started running and, and ended up being fairly good at it. Um, then my senior year in high school, my stepfather passed. I'm, I'm an only child. Uh, my mom met my stepfather when I was very young and she was kind of young. So uh, didn't really want to leave and go nowhere far. And so um, decided to go to school in the same city I'm from, which is Fort Worth, Texas. So ended up going to TCU and was there four years and it went extremely well. And um, then after I graduated, I moved to Santa Monica, California to run with the uh, prestigious Santa Monica Track Club. And that went extremely well and ran forever. And while I was running, I started coaching um, open athletes and professional athletes. And then I got the opportunity to coach uh, a high school out in, uh, in California and in, in L.A., all girls Catholic high school called Louisville High School. And I absolutely loved it. 
And um, and then I got the opportunity to go to UNLV, which is in Vegas, to coach with a really close friend of mine. And man, it went extremely well. Came here to Columbus, Ohio for a year. Um, but just if you if you look at that biography, you see that I was in Texas, then California for 12 years and Vegas for two years. So when I came to Columbus, Ohio, I was like, man, where's the sun? You know, like, <laughs> so uh, couldn't really deal with the cold weather. So after one year, I was like, uh, I'll check you guys out and, and left and went to LSU for about four years. And what I realized is that when I was in Columbus the first time, I just wasn't prepared. Like I didn't, I didn't have any winter clothing. I didn't know anything about winter tires. If I would get up in the morning for the, the morning runs for my athletes, it'd be 6 a.m. It'd be like ice on the window and snow on the window. And I thought, hey, you can just pour some hot water on it and it'll melt and come off your window. And lo and behold, it freezes more and you can't see. But anyway, so I learned when I was at LSU, like, okay, you know what? It might not have been as bad if I would have known that you could have those little packets that you squeeze and it keeps your hands warm and your feet warm and all those things. So I uh, came back and I've uh, been here for about uh, about five years. Wow. You've been yeah. all over and what yes, a journey you've had too. Um, yep. I, I want to backtrack a little bit just because I know that you mentioned um, football was the first sport that you were doing and then you transitioned into track and field. And so with getting started in sports in the first place, um, were there any mentors that were kind of guiding you towards that direction or were you naturally drawn into doing sports? So, you know, my family, we was, we was really poor. And so sports was a way for a, for me to get out the house. Uh, I'm the only child. Uh, and so it ain't like I was at the house and had other siblings to play with and we were poor. So I didn't really have video games and we didn't have a telephone. So sports was a way that I kind of stayed active. And obviously my parents and, and everyone, they love, they like sports. So, you know, when you're, when you're a kid and, and you're good at some, your parents give you more praise. So uh, I enjoy getting the recognition and attention from my, my parents. And so that's kind of, and everybody I knew at the time when I was a kid, they, they played sports, particularly football. Excuse me. And that's the way I kind of got involved in that. Now you said you played a lot of sports and then football is obviously a pretty big one. It's a lot, a big team sport as well. And then from football to track, did you have a lot of your football teammates run track with you that helped track uh, become something of more of a, uh, an easier segue to that, to that Avenue of athletics? To be honest with you, um, I was really more so focused on football and what, what ended up happening. I had a couple of friends who I'm still close with to this day. They was, they were really good at track. Like they was, really good and um and so I just kept running again because it helped football out and again like I said because the girls was out there and then became I had a lot of friends and everything that was playing and running uh, but then I remember a friend told me Michael McKinney I talked to him all the time he said uh he said man Katie if you run such and such time you can you, you probably can get a scholarship to college and I was like yeah man yeah I, I didn't know. I didn't know if I could run it or not. But what was I going to say? I wasn't going to be like, nah. I was like, yeah, you know. But in the back of my mind, I was like, man, is he crazy? I ain't going to be able to run that fast, you know. And so, but I kept running. And lo and behold, I ended up hitting that that benchmark. And so I started getting a couple more opportunities. Now, I never, I wasn't getting like uh, full rides. And I wasn't getting no, you know, no big offers. I didn't take any really official visits and none of that. So I wasn't by any means a stretch of imagination, a superstar or anything, but at least I knew that I was uh, going to be able to go, uh, go to college. And so that's kind of where that, that journey uh, started for as track, you know, I understood, okay, you know what? Stepfather just passed senior year, about to graduate high school. My mom's, you know, here. So I want to stay close. I want to, you know, I want to go to college and, 
you know, TCU's right there. Uh, the coach that recruited me, Coach McKenzie, him and I, and that was a while ago, but him and I are really close to this day. We talk all the time. And I just knew it was something in my mind that was special about him. And I, and I was right, because like I said, that's been, you know, a while ago and we still, we still talk. So it just ended up working, man. You know, energy, life's about energy and the energy matched. Wow. And yeah, that's just a really cool story to show how sports has really just taken you really far places in life, you know, as far as just from a young age, getting out of the home um, and then going to college. And so I guess I'd like to hear a little bit more about your development in your track and field career. Um, you didn't step onto that track and field team as the best athlete on the team, but you certainly grew into, you know, a top runner in the world. So yeah. Um, I guess I'd like to learn a little bit more about your college experience mm -hmm. and how you developed in those four years there to go on to become a professional. Yeah, so when I, I realized really quickly when I went to TCU that when I was in high school, I probably wasn't doing the, uh, the proper training. Um, you know, I was poor, right? So when I was in high school, I worked jobs and you know, I, I was working and, you know, my stepfather was was pretty sick and he was, you know, he was dying. And so it was like, you know, I had life stuff going on. Right. Yeah. I ran, but it was like that was a sport. I did it. But I had some real life situations going on. So when I got to college, I realized that there was guys that was beating me, but they was they was doing it the proper way. I mean, they was actually training. It was focused in, in the whole nine. So one thing I've learned, I learned then that I've carried to me throughout life is that success leaves clues, you know, uh, success leaves clues, meaning that things and people that are successful, if you listen to them and you watch them, there's going to be clues and, and, and failure does also. And so I started noticing some stuff. I started noticing what the people who were winning a lot are doing well, what they were doing. And I started doing it, you know, and I started noticing people that who wasn't doing well, who was losing a lot, what they were doing. And I, and I stopped doing those things, you know, and so to be quite honest with you, that's kind of what helped because I just noticed like, okay, maybe, you know, I wasn't getting enough sleep or maybe I was partying a little too much or, or whatever that may, maybe I was going to meets and I took that, uh, going out to the track and checking out girls a little too serious, right? And I wouldn't focus. So I realized, you know, that, that really wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. And I'm fur, I'm, I'm naturally competitive. Like that's just, I'm just competitive in any and everything that I do. Uh, so that part was already in place, but it was just the training. It was the, the, the following, you know, 70 to 90% of success in life is just following instructions, you know? And so for me, uh, I knew what I didn't know, meaning I knew I didn't know. So whenever my coach would tell me something, I would just do it. And the reason was I knew I didn't know, right? And so I kind of followed that quote, 70 to 90% success is just following instructions because I knew I didn't know enough. So whenever they told me something, I'm like, what do I know? I just did it. So I followed instructions and lo and behold, I started being a little bit more successful and obviously success breeds success. Right. So it's like, I, I continued to stay with it. And, um, and even all the way up until my senior year, I still wasn't really thinking about trying to run professionally. Uh, but you know, you know, you know, God works in mysterious ways, you know, and, um, and, and energy is really funny, you know, energy connects with like energy. Right. And so, um, as I continued to run well and run better, I started to, to notice things. They say a mind expanded, never goes back to its original form. So once I knew that I could be, a, 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 at a certain level or a pretty good, I couldn't unknow that. Yeah. I, I don't know if that makes sense. It's almost like once, you know, you can be a Pulitzer prize writer or whatever, like once I knew, I felt like I could be an Olympian, 
I couldn't like not unknow it. So it was like, man, that would have kept eating at me if I wouldn't have at least tried to go for it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's kind of how that journey started. It was like, man, you know, here I am. I have these coaches and people are telling me that I have the talent and the, and, and, and the, and the ability to do big things. Now, now I know that. It's like, I cannot not know it. And so let me go for it, you know? And so that's kind of really how that journey, that journey started. Now we can relate a lot. We're both uh, former D1 pole vaulters and, and still do the professional world a little bit. And, uh, and I also coach at the college here. So sharing your story definitely sits home quite a bit with us. And uh, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. M- moving towards the Olympic, uh, Olympic trials here, right? So your first Olympic trials was right after college? Two years after college, yeah. Two years after. So two years after is still a long time. And, and many people think about the Olympics as track and field. That's what it is every four years. But uh, track and field athletes know you have a world indoor championships, world outdoor mm-hmm. championships. And that happens one every year. And sometimes it doubles with the Olympics. So what uh, what was your motivation, I guess? Or did you have other stepping stones that are outside the Olympics that helped you st- stay focused uh, for such a long career on training uh, in, in the 800 meters? Well, so the first thing was, so I, I won NCAAs in 98. Um, and it's a funny story because uh, up until about 96, I knew I could be all right, but it, it was just, I was, I'm naturally kind of confident, you know, just I don't know, maybe genetics or whatever. I mean, my parents, I just, I'm just naturally a confident guy in whatever I do, but I never really thought, okay, I could be one of the top in the, the, the world. I never just really sat down and formulated it. I thought it, but I never really just sat down. And one day we was at a, at a, at a party at TCU, and there was a track and field news magazine on the counter. And uh, one of my friends read the track and field news magazine. And back in the day, I don't know if they still do it. When you're in college, they do a, like a, a form chart to say who they think is going to be top 10 or whatever. And I happen to be like ranked to be fifth. And I didn't even know it. I'm just sitting at the party and I'm, you know, doing whatever. And my friend said, look, Katie, they got you ranked to be fifth. And I remember looking at it and I'm like, man, you know, and I, and I remember thinking like, dang, like now it ain't just me that think I can be good. Right. Like others are really thinking I can be this good. So it kind of like, you know, it, it, it really put it into perspective that like it validated what I had already kind of somewhat believed. And so then I started really going, okay, I supposed to be not like I could be, but like, no, I supposed to be one of the top in the nation. Right. And so um, that's when I really started kind of thinking, okay, top five could be, be an option. And then obviously I ended up winning. So then after that in 99, like after I graduated in 98 and 99, <clears throat> My first uh, indoor and outdoor USA championships, I, I won my first year out. So obviously you got 2000 coming up. It's the Olympic Games and you're thinking, OK, man, I'm, a, I'm the NCAA champion. Now I'm the USA champion. So you be like, you know, you're, you're, your head is way up here in the clouds, right? You're thinking, OK, nobody can stop me, right? And so you go to the, uh, I go to the Olympic trials in 2000 and I get the doomed and saddened fourth place, right? And I remember, and I still remember to this day, um, the life lesson I learned from that experience because I, I never, not, I mean, I thought I would win for a fact, but the, but the idea of getting second and third was like, ah, getting fourth was like, it didn't even cross my mind. Like it was like, I, 
I didn't even think it was possible. I don't even know how else to say it. It was just like, it didn't even come. So I ended up getting fourth and it was like an out of body experience. I don't know, it's like, it was shock. I mean, I don't even know what else to say. But the point I'm making is when I went back home and at this time I lived in Santa Monica. So I was two years out of college, very young, running for Santa Monica Track Club in Nike, uh, in LA, you know, five to 10 minutes away from the beach. And I remember sitting in my apartment in Santa Monica twiddling my thumbs. And I remember having friends call me and was like, man, how things going? And I was like, down. Like I was, I didn't know what to do. And they like, dude, like you're in LA. Like, really? Like, go live, you know? And I'm like, well, then it's like you five minutes from the, from the beach, go to the beach, go to Venice beach. And I didn't want to do none of that. <laughs> and I remember telling myself at the time, like never again, like I'm never gonna, you're supposed to put all your eggs in one, you're supposed to put totally focus on something. But I had focused so much on this one area that when that didn't go the way I wanted it to go, that I was completely lost. And it was kind of, when you think about it, it's kind of sad because it's like, okay, I'm young, I'm two years out of college, I got my degree, I got money, I was a USA champion, I'm in LA, and I'm sitting there like I don't have anything. You know, like I had, I could go, I could go buy some stuff, but I was like, I just, so that's what happened in 2000. And, you know, I've had this question a lot. I just got this from a wrestler about a week ago. I was speaking at a, uh, I do a lot of speaking and I was speaking at a Christian organization. And the guy was asking me, what made you stay four more years to try to go for it again? Like, like, you know, cause it ain't like you stay in four years and you know, you're going to make it. It's like you wait four years just for the opportunity to try. And I remember telling them like, because I knew in my heart that, um, that I can make make a team. And when I didn't make it, it wasn't so much that, okay, I didn't make it. I would, it was like, I knew there was things that I should have been doing or could have been doing that I didn't do. In other words, mm. I knew there was things that I, that I need, that I could do that'll make me get better. Now, once, if I would have done everything in my power to be as good as I could be, and I'm just, and this was just where I was at, and that means I wasn't gonna make, okay, I can live with that because I did everything. But, but, but at that time I knew I had. And so that's what gave me the motivation to say, you know what? I'm gonna go four more years and try to make this Olympic team. Yeah, that's um, something that I was actually going to ask. So thanks for sharing that. And from what I'm hearing in your story here, first off coming into college, it seems like you just came in with that. Uh, you were a very coachable athlete, just being that you knew that you didn't know everything. And so you were open to listening to other coaches. And that's something that sounds like you even took from your experience at the 2000 Olympic trials, um, mm -hmm. kind of bouncing back from that and reassessing at where you were at and where you could improve. So I know that you mentioned that um, coming into the next four-year cycle, so we can kind of skip forward to that. How was um, that next four-year training cycle and what were some of those things that you worked on? So, uh, so, from so essentially from 2000 to 2004, there was this shift, right? So I was coming off of this high of being NCAA champion and USA champ. Now remember, I think a lot of people forget this. When I went to college, I was I had to take out loans. Like I, I didn't get full scholarships. Like I was I was I wasn't even on like 70, 80%. I mean, I I was like, I was a partial. So I took out loans. So to get to where I ended up getting in college, I had I had to work for that. Like I was like we were I was poor. So I had to work for that. So by the time I became a senior, you know, it was like four years of working to try to get to a point where I didn't have to pay, you know, I had to take out loans for schooling. And then, 
you know, I ended up winning my senior year. And then my first year out of college, obviously in, in 99, I won USA Indoors and USA Outdoors and all that. So then when I had that, 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 that uh, hurdle, that disappointment in 2000 and then 2001, it was like, okay, it was a wake up call. It's like, okay, you know what? You got to a certain level, but that don't mean you chill now, right? That don't mean like, okay, you here, like you arrived. No, everything you've done from when you were younger to get to that point, you got to continue to do those things and even do them better. Mm-hmm. So it, it woke me up and said, okay, man, you got four years. And, you know, and, and you got to really be prepared because, you know, the last thing you want to do is look back in those four years and say you wasted them. So then uh, 2001, 2002, 2003, and I had some really, you know, some pretty solid years during those times. And then when 2004 came, I was, I was a little bit more uh, meticulous in the way I prepared for the trials in 2004. Not to say I wasn't prepared in 2000, but I had had that shock from 2000. So in 2004, I was really plugged in and really focused on what needed to be done and, and, and all those types of things. So um, you also mentioned in another interview that, uh, or an earlier actually, that changing your perspective and understanding how to handle disappointment and handle your focus and shifting your focus. Um, but what made the difference in finding balance um, and how you were able to um, train so hard and focus on your sport, but also realize that you, you missed again in 2004. You got fourth again. Is that correct? No, it was 2008. 2004, 2008. I made it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Sorry about that. Um, no, no worries. No worries. But yeah, so then, so you go again, making 2004 and then 2008, you miss again getting fourth place the dreaded fourth and then uh and then you make your second team in 2012 and so so making one in 04 that's that's a reward and then missing by the same spot in 2008 that's a huge setback but understanding the difference between 2004 2008 now all of a sudden you go another four years anyway yeah i mean i'm in the same boat at at 31 turning 32 and still training myself so i I can relate but the the balance that you talked about and, and how did you come to find that balance and how does that help prepare your life from where you were to where you are um, now. So, so you have to discipline your disappointments. Discipline your disappointments. You have to understand you're going to have disappointments in life, and you can't act like we would act when we're nine. When you're nine, you have a disappointment. You pout. Well, there's a way to pout as an adult. It might not be like you stick your and and do that, but you still pout, right? Yeah. So the thing is, um, when I didn't make it, see, this is the thing that I think might get missed when I didn't make it in 2000 that wasn't a total loss see 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 I lost the race but I gained more see that's what I'm saying like think about it I lost the race in 2000 and didn't make the Olympic team but I gained the life experience and the life perspective of having balance in life so I said okay when I'm sitting in Santa Monica California twiddling my thumbs after I didn't make it I made a decision and I said never again I said, you know what, whenever I go anything in life, yeah, I'm gonna put everything in it, but I'm gonna also have a balanced life. So that that's something that will that will pay dividends and that will be good for the rest of my life, right? So that was the thing that I had, you know, there's a quote that says, uh, accomplishing a goal is not always as important as pursuing a goal. There is power in pursuit. And what that means is if right now, 
if you try to, if you can only bench 150 pounds, and let's say you give yourself, let, let's use the four-year scope, you give yourself four years to be able to bench 400 pounds. You're at 150 and you want to bench 400. And let's say after three and a half years, the, the deadline's coming up, and here it is, you try to go for, for the bench and you bench 370 pounds, and you didn't get 400. You went four years trying to get 400, and you had 370. Well, think about it. Yeah, you didn't hit your mark. You didn't hit 400 pounds. But shit, you, you can bench 370 pounds. You're now 220 pounds stronger than you were when you started. See, most of us, we lose sight of that. We, lo we lose sight of the improvements and the stuff that we've gained. But if we can see what we've gained and then take what we've gained and use it to help and, uh, and, and, and give to others and give to the world, then now it's a plus because what you gain is going to uh, account to more than what it would have been if you just got 400. Yeah, I got 400 and just kind of been like, I hit my max of 400, but now you got 375. And you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to teach somebody else how to go from 125 or 150 to 375. You know, that's what I did. I didn't just not make it and go, oh man, make it. And blah, blah, blah. I said, man, never again. So now when I talk to somebody else who's on the same journey, I said, now listen, you know, uh, you know, accomplishing the goal is not always as important as pursuing the goal. There's power in pursuit. And I tell them this story. So now as they go on this journey, they their eyes are open to everything they're gaining and how much they're getting better in life. And now when they get to the last point, if they don't if they don't hit that goal, they go, well, look, look at all this. Look how much better I am. And if they do hit the goal, it's like, man, that's a double win. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I felt it. It's like when I got to 2004, Oh, my goodness, man. I was experiencing a little bit of everything, right? Because I knew how it could feel to not accomplish it, right? So I knew, like, if I didn't make it in 2004, the last thing I was going to do was take my, my butt back to Santa Monica and twiddle my thumbs in there. I wasn't going to do that, but I just so happened to have made it. No, I love that. Love that so much. <laughs> definitely a lot of stories to be, uh, to be learned from and listened to. And it, it definitely translates to everyone's life. Uh, cause I think failure now is something that people experience both failure and the twiddle, the thumb twiddle. Um, they're, they're doing that all the time from COVID. They're doing that yeah. all the time from COVID. So what do I do? How do I get better? What's my pursuit? So the power of pursuit, that's a wonderful thing I think we'll take with us and, and hope to share ourselves. But, in, yeah. but with COVID, with COVID, I, I did a, uh, I have a friend that I went to TCU with, and he's a big time lawyer and he has a, uh, a company. He had me speak to his company. And I have a keynote that I, that, I, that I do, and it's called In Times of Uncertainty, Be Certain in Yourself. In Times of Uncertainty, Be Certain in Yourself. And see, during COVID and during the pandemic, a lot of people was very uncertain about what was going to go on with their jobs, their health, what they're going to do five years from now. And there's all this uncertainty going on. But if you're certain with yourself, if you sit on the foundation that you're on, then you know, yeah, you might still have a little stress, a little worries, but you know what you're gonna, you know, you know what you have in yourself and what you can't accomplish. See, I tell people all the time, I have people that I coach and, you know, and I'm just, and I'm a straight shooter, as you guys probably have figured out. And I hear people talking about, yeah, I'm just gonna pray about it or I believe in God and this and that. And I'll just hit them with it. I say, now listen, you tell me you believe in God. So what you're so worried about? You believe in the most powerful, most amazing. That don't mean you're not going to have struggles and, and failures and fears and all that. That's life. You know, if you don't want that, I don't know what to tell you. That's, that's part of the deal. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm reminded of, a, uh, I think of the guy's name on the top of my tongue right now, but it's a, a, a saying about these two young fish and they're swimming this way. Two young fish. His name is David Foster. That's what it is. And it's called uh, This Is Water. There's two young fish going this way swimming and there's one old fish going this way. And as they swim by each other, the old fish looks at the young fish and say, uh, 
how's the water, guys? And they keep swimming, keep swimming. And as the two young fish swim on down the road about five or 10 minutes later, one young fish looks at the other young fish and say, what the hell is water? And what that means is those young fish has gotten so caught up in living life, so caught up in trying to get a job and, and, and get female fish and, and, and going from A to B and doing all this stuff that they never took the time to sit back and understand that all of this it's water. All of this is like the, the, the heavy waves, the low waves, the cold, the hot, the rocks, the seaweed. All of this junk is, is life and all this stuff is water. And that's what water is. But they don't know. They're just going on their way. They're just going by. They're chasing stuff and they're getting stuff. They're trying to eat. And they're trying to get better and all this type of stuff. And that old fish is telling them, hey, youngsters, how's the water? And he's trying to get them to slow down and go, man, listen. Things are pretty good right now, you know. I'm this that, and that's what we that's what we forget to do. We get caught up, and when some bad happens or something, we go, "Oh, crap. but you know, it's all life. All of it is part of life, and sometimes things are going so well, we forget to just sit back and be like, "Man, you know what? Things are pretty." I mean, you could be in Ukraine right now. It's a war, a real war, like a real freaking war in Ukraine right now, and you got people that's sitting here complaining about Lord knows what. So that's the thing that I think we can sometimes get from sports. And that's the thing I try to remind myself because I had failed and not made it. I said, I better enjoy some of this stuff while I'm on this journey. Right. And I think that's such a powerful perspective, especially for our listeners of coaches and athletes, um, just to remember to enjoy the journey. Um, I, I like what you said, just the power of pursuit. Um, and just, I think, staying positive along the way, it sounds like that's something that has helped you just keep moving forward. And, you know, instead of just getting down in the dumps about a failure, it's like, okay, how can I learn from this? How can I grow from this and keep moving forward? And so something that you mentioned was um, from your journey, uh, just learning how to help others accomplish their goals as well. So I guess that kind of transitions into your coaching journey a little bit. So how did coaching begin for you? Was that something that you started while you were still training as an athlete? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to be honest with you, <laughs> I started getting a lot of people that because I was doing well, for some odd reason, they thought I had it all figured out. And I'm like, dude, like, and they'll be like, man, I see you for you for the run. And you're so confident. And I, I'm like, man, I'll be scared. I'm, I'm shaking in my boots on the line, you know, but they can't tell. I've got, I guess I've gotten to the point where maybe I can hide it better than most people, but it's like, so what I realized is through my coaching, I was able to like help people in a way because, because I had had somewhat a little bit of success. People thought that I had answers. They thought I knew the secret to, cause we all get nervous, right? So they thought, man, maybe I can ask KD how not to be so scared and nervous when I'm going to compete. I'm like, I can't give you the answer for that. I'll be scared and nervous too. I can, I can tell you how you can be scared and nervous and still compete. But I, but how to totally eliminate it, then you got to change the way you, you frame it in your mind. So that's how I kind of got to coach. And I kept having individuals ask me kind of for advice. And I started seeing people that, you know, it's like you go to the weight room, right? And you go to Planet Fitness, it don't matter, go to wherever. And you've been going for two years and you see this one guy or girl, and they've been going for a year, year and a half, two years. And they go, they, they don't miss. And they work out and they sweating, but they're not getting any more tremor they're not getting any more stronger they're not getting no more muscle and you know what what the problem is you know what they need to do and you just been watching them and so after like a year and a half you want to go say something but you're like i don't want to seem like that 
that silly guy, that creep that comes up and try to tell you this or <laughs> a personal trainer that's trying to say, hey, if you do this and I'll train you for this. You don't want them to think you're that, one of the, that, that type of person, but you're like, hey, man, listen, I see you're doing something and I know you're trying to, you, you might want to increase the weight on your, on, your, on, your, on, your, on your squat, man. If you increase it a little bit and, and graduate, you'll probably start getting some, you know, because you know the, you kind of know the answer. It was the same with running. I would see people doing stuff and, and you know they were dedicated and you see them getting their protein shakes every day and you see them running on weekends and they got the little sweat man and they got everything, everything's in order, but they're not getting no better. And you're just like, hey, you know, I know you like running, you run every day, but even God rested one day, right? And then, so you start giving them all this, this advice that you know could help them. And that's kind of how that journey started for me. I started knowing there's certain things I know about um, exercise or fitness or health or running that'll help that'll help people and and some people um you know like i told you earlier i have some people that i that i mentor and, and consult with they, they just love they love working out it makes them happy i've had I've, I've honestly had spouses that for their for their spouse's birthdays they'll buy a year of me coaching their spouse but that's what they, they they're like they're like accountants, they're like doctors, they're like lawyers, and all they do is work and family, but what they like doing is training. Like they like running marathons or Ironmans or whatever. And so now I give them some advice and they started having these um, uh, PRs they ain't had in like five years. They started hitting times they, they didn't even hit even when they was in college or high school. And I'm not, you know, I would like to toot my own horn, but really I ain't doing nothing special. I'm just giving them proper training. They just ain't never had proper training. Or some, most of them, I'm just telling them when to rest. I'm like, hey, listen, man, you're a physician and you're married and you got two kids. And I know you really want to uh, work all day and then come hit that 12 mile run. But let me tell you something. It might be better to work all day and just go two miles. You know, you'll be better off, you know. So those are the things that I learned. And that's why I started really helping people because I just saw just some simple could help people out and, and, and make, make them happy and, and help them out in their life. No, and that's, that's one of the things I think all coaches share. And it's so exciting to see somebody accomplish something they didn't think that they could, even though they're trying to it, trying to do it. Um, and, and so if we can pull one more personal story, I guess, whether it's an athlete or a person, do you have another story that really stands out to you of someone that you've made a big impact on and that, that you carry that memory with uh, still now? There's a lot, but the the one I think about it, it don't even have anything to do with track. But when I was at uh, when I was at TCU, I, my, my bachelor's degree was in social work, and my master's degree is in public administration. So when I was an undergrad at TCU, we had to do field placement work, meaning like it's like an internship, I guess you would say, and you work it. So we used to do volunteer work at schools, and there was a school right across the street from TCU, and we used to go there and volunteer and work with kids in the whole nine. And we did it, you know, we juniors and seniors in college, we work with different kids, we do that and whatever. So I graduated and I, and I, and I moved, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit older. So when I was younger, we didn't really have the internet and we definitely have Facebook and all that type of stuff. So anyway, I graduated, run pro, moved to California and lo and behold, Facebook comes and all this type of stuff. And so one day I get on Facebook and um, I get a message and I open the message and I'm like, I don't know this person. And they had, they wrote me a message and they said, uh, Mr. Robinson, and I already knew something was up. Here I am, two years out of college. Who calling me? Somebody looked just as old as I am talking about Mr. Robinson. I'm like, uh, you know. And so um, I get the message and the person said, Mr. Robinson, my name is such and such. I'm that little kid you used to volunteer and work with 
that went to the school next to TCU. And I wanted to say that when you used to say A, B, and C, it meant a lot. And when you did this and said that, and I want you to know that I'm finishing high school and I'm going to go to the military and I'm going in, and I just got chills. I got chills. And the reason is, I said that I didn't know that he was really like listening to it. You know, you can go to, you can graduate and go to the military and go to college and all this. And I'm just, you know, I'm just, I didn't know when you say it to some people, they really buy into that. And it just really meant a lot because it was like, man, I was able to reach someone and he felt like it meant so much. Okay, I'm gonna find this guy and I'm gonna reach out to him and tell him it meant a lot. And so that's one of the ones that I've had. I've had a lot of those with, with ex-athletes. I used to, you know, we train at six in the morning. I have my athletes training at six in the morning. And every place I've gone, UNLV, LSU, Ohio State, when I first get there and I tell them we're doing six in the morning, that's not a good impression to be as a new coach. You know, a lot of people don't, they don't like it. And so I had one athlete after he graduated, he's an engineer now. He, uh, he wrote me and he said, uh, coach, you know, uh, I was talking, he said, coach, you know, when you first came to such and such, I didn't like you because you had us doing six in the morning. And he said, I remember you told us something once. You said, if you get up at six or seven in the morning, you run three miles, you've already done more than 70% of the work. So you get up in, at six in the morning, you run three miles at seven in the morning. You've already done, if you don't do nothing else, you've done more than 70% of the world. And I told him that because my coach told me that. And he said, well, now I've graduated. I got a job. I'm an engineer. And that's boring, man. Like we just, I go to work and uh, you work all day. And you do the same thing over and over again. He said, but you know what? I get up before work every day now and I do my run. And he said, I get pumped because I know if I get up before work and I do my run, I've already done more than 70% of the world. And I just want to thank you because I do it every day. And I just, I mean, you, you can't beat that, man. Like, it's like I didn't it. do it for him to, you know, years later to come tell me that. It's just like, so those types of experiences are something that you can't, um, you can't replace. And like I said, I had coaches, my coach, Coach McKenzie, told me that. I told him if he decided to coach, I have other athletes, I mentored. Yeah. And then they keep going long after I'm, long after I'm gone. And, and that's what life's about, right? Because all this stuff is fleeting. When I'm walking around every day, people don't know I was an Olympian. Like, I, I ain't like wearing my lippy jacket on. Like, you know, <laughs> I don't do that. So people don't know, right? But the influence you can have on people's lives, it, 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 it carries on longer than some of the accomplishments that, you know, that you had when you was younger or, or whatever that may be. Yeah, I think that sounds like that's really one of the coolest things about coaching is just that lasting impact that you can have on others. Yeah. Um, obviously, so you've mentioned you coach pretty much a wide range of people. You're, you know, coaching uh, college athletes, professionals, and, you know, people in the work world. With yeah. that, do you see any commonalities or recurring themes as far as um, anything that you're coaching people on and seeing across the board things that these people can do to get better or, you know, different levels? Like, yeah. is there anything that's kind of like a common theme? Yeah. Yeah. My, again, I'm not trying to, you know, apply for a job or anything, but um, I have a keynote called developing the, the champion's uh, mindset, De developing the champion's mindset. That's my keynote. That's what Kadivism is, you know? And what is that? So when I was, when I made the 2004 and 2012 Olympics, when I was there, and I'm like this. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a people watcher. As much as I like to talk, I'm still a people watcher. And, I, and I'm looking at all these Olympians. And when you're at the Olympics, it's amazing because you get all sorts of people. You get people as small 
as Gabby Douglas as a gymnast. I mean, they tiny, man. You think you think they look tiny on TV? They're tiny. They look like little kids. And you get people as big as, you know, shop putters, right? I mean, you get black, white, Asian. It don't matter the race and religion and the country and the size and big, small. It's just everything. And so I'm looking at all these different people as tall as Yao Ming and as short as whomever. And, as, and I'm like, what is it about them that make them the greatest in the world in their events? And as I talk to more people and as I travel, and I, I notice something. Again, success leads clues. And it's a mindset. It really is. And we all know people like that. You know, this is a, a joke, but like for guys, for men, we all know this dude is probably our friend. And he's a he's a turd, man. But he keeps getting all these girls. And you're like, what the going on? Like, I'm a nice guy. But this turd, he keeps getting girls. And it's funny because it's like, this guy go talk to a girl and she'll be like, get out of my face, you're a turd, you ugly. And then <laughs> and then five minutes later, he talking to another girl and he'd be like, yeah. And you're like, what the if some girl was to diss us, we'll be, our confidence would be all gone. We'll be like, man, I ain't talking to nobody for another two weeks, right? So it's the same <laughs> thing. It's like, I noticed that within all those Olympians, with all those people, it was a, a common denominator. And that common denominator was the mindset. You see, if you think about, I use Elon Musk. If you think about Elon Musk, I mean, come on, man, this guy, him and Bill Gates, and one, he got like $100 billion, right? $100 billion. Now, I don't know if people know, that's a lot of money. Think about you, you can give away a million dollars every day. Every day, that's what, $365 million a year? Is that what that is, if my math is correct? So it takes yeah. three years, right? To get rid of one billion, they got a hundred or two hundred. That's just they can give away a, a million dollars a day. Why do I bring it up? I bring it up because it's like most of us, if we had fifty million, most people they had fifty million, they'd go to work tomorrow and be like, "Screw all of y'all, I'm out of here!" Right? They're just quitting and, 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 and act crazy. A hundred million, forget about it. And so you ask people, if you got a hundred million dollars, would you still work? Seventy percent, nah, I ain't working. Then you got about 20% say, I'll work, but not full time. And then you got about 5% be like, yeah, I'll keep working. I like my job. But how many of those would have 100 million that will work overtime? You see, these guys I'm talking about, it ain't that they just work. They going in early and leaving late. They still putting in 60, 70, 80 hours. Think about that. I think about Tom Brady. I'm like, this dude married to a model. He done won five Super Bowls. He done been MVP five times. He's rich as all outdoors. And he's still eating that crazy diet. Like, really? <laughs> but he thinks differently. Are you, get, are you getting my point? So the people that are massively successful, we want to make all these excuses. Or oh, they had a good family. And, and maybe those things was there. But really, when you think about it, the way they process stuff, the way they think about things, the way they think about failure, the way they think about life, the way they look at it, it's totally different than the rest of us. They have a different mindset. And some of those things can be developed by recognizing a mind expanded can never go back to its original form. That's what I said it earlier. And once you know something, so for you, you said you're a pole vaulter. How old are you? 31, right? Mm -hmm. See, I'm going to do something. You, you, you're probably going to be pissed at me, but I'm going to do it anyway. See, I didn't run my PR until I was 32. Oh. So you just, so when you tell me you're 31, I'm going into my mindset goes, you're just now going into your peak. You but I know go. people that are 31. I'm telling you, I'm not making this up. Look it up. I know people that start to say, they 31, man, I'm about to retire. I got to go get a real job. I got to do all this. Like, okay. But see, I done messed it up because I done, I done took away your excuse of saying that, right? Because you can, because at 32 and 33, you can still jump, run or whatever, uh, 
your highest and best. Now, I, I even say this to older people. I say, listen, I hear people say, man, my goal was to whatever. And I'd be like, why you ain't doing that? I say, well, man, it's too late now. I'm, I'm 62 years old. And I say, you're 62. They go, like, yeah. I say, well, uh, what do you consider the hardest, most strenuous, most stressful job in the world? They say, stressful, uh, probably like being the president or something. I say, oh, to be the president? They say, yeah. I said, don't you know the last couple of presidential elections you had, you had Donald Trump, you got Joe Biden, and you got Hillary Clinton. I think all of them in their seventies or eighties, and so they went for it. They 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 going for the presidential election at eighty. And here you are talking about you sixty and it's too late. They had twenty more years before they even ran for president. You see, you guys change the way you look at stuff. See, some people at 60 say, man, in 15 years, I'm going to go for this and I'm going to do this and this. And others be thinking they're going to be dead. So you got to start planning for this stuff. It's a different way of thinking. But most people don't know. They don't, they don't get the memo. And I tell people this. I say, listen, if you start changing the way you see things, it's like right now, uh, uh, Megan, her name's Megan. If Megan was to say, man, it's this new coach purse. It got this little red lining on it and green at the bottom. And I, don't, I saw my, I saw this one girl with it when I was out of town. I ain't seen nobody else with it. I'm going to get one of those purses. Guess what's going to happen? She going to start seeing those purses everywhere. Where's she going? Oh, look at that purse. She got it. Man, that purse. Commercial going to come on. Man, the purse. I can't believe this. Why? Because now you've opened your eyes. The purse has already, already been there. It's been out there, but you ain't been noticing. It's like. Have you ever driven down a street or went running somewhere and you've, and you've done that for months, maybe years, and you notice a house or you notice a, you notice something you're like, I've never seen that. And it's been there the whole time. Yeah. It's the same thing. That's how our mind works. Once we say we want something, the universe and God, whatever you believe in, starts to get, start to open your eyes and see it. Have you guys ever seen the show, The Truman Show? Oh, you got to uh, see it's uh, an yeah. old show with, the, with Jim Carrey. Yeah, the but movie. Anyway, right? Yep. Yes, the movie, yeah. The Truman Show with Jim Carrey. Yep. When he started, finally, he was going through his whole life. He's 30-some years ago. He started thinking, like, man, I feel like somebody's watching me or following me. And soon as he started, he started noticing all this little stuff. See, that's what happens when you open your mind and your eyes. You start to notice stuff. The universe, it starts to show you things. It's already been there. It's like the, the book, The Alchemist. People going all the way over here to try to find some uh, acres of diamonds. And then you come back and it's been here the whole time. That's why you set goals. That's why you have mentors and consultants. You see, if you was to ask any president, any business person, I don't care if it's, don't, I don't care who it is, any sports, Tiger Woods, it don't matter. The best, Muhammad Ali had a boxing coach and that boxing coach couldn't beat him up. Tiger Woods have a golf coach, the golf coach can't play golf better than him. Tom Brady has a quarterback coach who can't throw as good as him. So if the best of the best have mentors, why are you trying to do it by yourself? Success lead clues. The top, the best of the best of everything got mentors and consultants and coaches, and you try to do it by yourself. So that's what I try to tell people. It's like, okay, there's some simple things that we all can do to get better. Successfully close. Failure does too. Back when I was a kid, it used to be a commercial car. You can learn a lot from a dummy. They put a dummy in a in a car and they don't put a seatbelt on and they crash and they go out the window. Like, you learn a lot from a dummy, meaning, but we don't do that. We see somebody do something stupid, and it's like we don't learn from it. I'm like, really? <laughs> so what I'm saying is what I learned in life is that these people we seeing, yeah, they might have this, this, but for the most part, what it is is they got some things in place. But you, we all know people that they trying to coach. And I'm not saying you can't coach yourself, 
but we have blind spots. That's the, that's 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 a fact. We have biases called we have implicit and explicit biases. We have blind spots that we just cannot see. That's a fact. And sometimes we need somebody else. Sometimes I call my friends and I just say, hey man, like, am I going crazy? I don't need this, this, and that. And sometimes they'll tell me, dude, like, yeah, that's stupid. Have you ever seen someone on the internet you like, they didn't have no friends to tell them that was stupid? Yeah, because they 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 didn't ask nobody. They probably if somebody if they were to ask someone, somebody would say, dude, that's crazy. But see, that's what all of this is about. No matter if it's a sport, no matter if it's a business, no matter what it is. Understanding that, okay, first thing, 79% of success is following instructions, but first you got to have a mentor and a coach. Why are you trying to do it on your own when it's been done before? You know, we do it in other areas of our life. You, you, you hear men and they talk about stuff and they always say, I want you to think about this. They'll say, man, my dad used to say, you see, my granddad used to say, my mom, my granny used to, yeah, because they said that so we wouldn't have to make the same mistakes they made. And only an idiot would sit there and their dad take them fishing or take them hunting. Dad took you hunting and say, never point at nothing with your finger on the trigger if you're not going to shoot it. You know, he's trying to tell you. Like, <laughs> now only an idiot would go somewhere and be walking around the gun like this. And, you know, because like your dad tried to tell you, man, don't make this mistake. Or your mama tried to say, don't put the, don't, don't light up the oven and keep it on and walk, whatever. You get my point. <laughs> so it's the same thing in life. But it's just like baths, right? We have to be reminded of those things. That's why in my favorite book, uh, in every spiritual book, the Bible says, fear not. How many times does it say, do not fear? Because we, it'll say it one or two times, and then here we are, we're scared of something. We said, do not fear, fear not. Because a distracted mind is a defeated mind. And when you have fear, I don't care what it is, you're focusing on the fear. And so with all this stuff we're doing, my point is, is uh, you know, you develop this, and I'm just not no hocus pocus stuff. It's just you develop your mind to a point that you're being real and you're being honest with yourself about what your goals are and what you're willing to um, to give up. Because we we want to think we work 10 hours a day and go, man, I'm working hard. I'm not working everybody. I, I'm just going to tell you. There's people working 14 hours a day. I'm not saying you have to, but don't fool yourself into thinking nobody's working 10 hours a day. They are. Mm-hmm. No, that's great stuff. That's that's it's really nice to hear as well. And your energy and passion is is definitely uh, noticeable, and, and it just almost seeps through the, the computer screen. Yeah, so, and so many quotable <laughs> moments from this. I mean, I'm glad that we recorded it. We'll just say that. Yeah, we're writing down a lot of quotes. <laughs> so, so I guess, we, go ahead. Um, yeah. So, uh, that, I mean, a lot, a lot of great nuggets that all piece together, you know, what is Davis Robinson and where is your experience to led you today? Um, how, how can people find, you said you have a book or two, correct? Yes. Yes. Um, how so can- essentially just at Cadivas, everything is at Cadivas or Cadivism and Cadivism is pretty much a combination of all those, um, those quotes that come up, you know, major things happen in minor moments, but the truth is there are no minor moments. Major things happen when we make them happen. So little stuff like that is a is a is a cadivism. And um, and it's really living your life on your terms, right? Uh, a lot of us, you know, and and I and I always like to say this because a lot of us in life, you know, we all want to be liked, right? And you know, and, and Martin Luther King called it the drum major instinct. We all want to be the drum major, we want to be important, we want to be out front. 
and we want to do all those things. But here's the reality. The reality is, you know, when I go sometimes speak to uh, a certain religious organization, there's a guy that says there's a heart um, shaped hole in everyone's body that only God or the universe or whatever can fill. And what does that mean? It means that unless and until you real live your life authentically for you, authentically yourself, you'll never be satisfied. You, you won't. It's only one of you. And, and, and I don't mean it in a cheesy, like, ain't nobody likes you. I mean, like, seriously, like, your mom and dad can go to the same house on the same bed and do the same moves and on the same date, but a different, and, it, and somebody will come out looking totally different than you. I mean, it's just the way it is. So what I'm trying to say is the uniqueness and the specialness of you is you. And, we, and it's sad because some people, they try so much to be something else. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, we see, you know, think about that. I'm trying to think about this. There's some people we see this on TV or we know, and, and from our own judgment, it's something up with them, right? Something but when you see them, they're authentically and generally happy. And we like, what is that? If I was that poor, or if I was that fat, or if I was that whatever, I would, but no, because they, they, they lit, they being poor, they being poor. They not being poor and got on a fake necklace. They look like it cost five hundred dollars. They being, they being fat. They ain't like putting on this big old thing trying to insinuate they. They wearing some, they wearing some tight jeans and they, and then you like, oh my goodness. But they, they, they live in their fat because they know somebody likes that, you know. So what am I saying? I'm saying that's the thing about life that I think uh, a lot of people are missing. They're not being authentically themselves. How can you live a full life? How can you be reach your full potential in anything if you're if if you're if you like um, you know eating fish and you just tell it tell this girl you don't like eat fish because she's a vegetarian or, or whatever? You get what I'm saying? You you can't. That don't mean if you have something that's not totally good that you don't try to work on getting better. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying many of us are just answering questions because we think that's what people want to hear. I, I give advice to young ladies and 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 I'm and I'll kind of cut it short and and I heard ladies say this all the time like this guy he was such an ass he lied about everything he said he liked and then I and I and I heard listen to him and I say they asked me for advice I say let me ask you a question I said you met a guy right and he likes you and you know he likes you You can see very much whatever he likes you and he asked you he says uh hey girl what kind of movies you like you like well I like romance movies and then what you gonna do next you're gonna be well what kind of movies you like what you think he gonna say? He like romance movies because because you said you like romance movies. He gonna say he like romance movies because he like you and he think that's what you want to hear. Now, when you first meet the guy and you do that, if you're smart, you go like you think to yourself, I don't know if this dude really like romance, but he might just be saying it. You don't be like, oh, I can't believe it. He like you don't like the next. Thing. He like romance movies like me. He likes eating chicken. He like you know. Now and then, <laughs> then, then a year and a half later, you go. He lied. He don't even no. You go. You kind of go like, okay. He's kind of telling me what I want to hear, right? So what I'm saying is, in life, we can't. We don't, we don't do that. Be authentically you. Whether and 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 you own the successes and own the failures. That's part of that. This is water. It's part of the deal. You know, all of it's part of the deal. And once you embrace that and you overcome those things then you feel better navigating through life. When that person's in line and you're in the grocery store and they, they, they waiting five minutes to get to the line, right? And they get to the line 
and then they gotta go and get the purse, and they gotta open the purse, and they get the wallet, they gotta open the wallet and go through all you like for Christ's sake, you've been in line 10 minutes, you couldn't grab your wallet after 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 the purse when you but no, don't even get upset about that. You don't know what they've been going through the whole time they was in line. They could have been worrying about a child that's been sick. And so they weren't thinking about paying for that. They buying some food, thinking about how they're going to take care of their kid. This is water. And we're the lucky ones, man, because we get to, you know, play sports. And we get to be healthy. And we get to motivate. And we get to inspire others, right? And so that's what I think when I'm coaching. I'm like, man, really? Really? Uh, there's other places I could be right now. I could be, I could be uh, back in that apartment in Santa Monica, tooling my thumbs, but I'm not. I'm here, so I try to appreciate every day because of that. Heck yeah, absolutely. And that's just, I mean, keeping that positive perspective and just appreciating life and seeing everything that it gives you, rather than anything that you know maybe you've gone through and struggled. Um, I think our listeners will definitely have a lot of positive takeaways from you know, you sharing your story and we really appreciate you sharing your story and all of your advice, you know, from everything that you've learned along the way. Um, and so we know that they'll definitely check you out on your website, um, check out your books. Um, is there anywhere else that they could find any more information about you or if they? Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, okay. LinkedIn, it's just Ed Cadivas. You, you type in my name, Cadivas or Cadivism. I, I probably have come up. So any of those uh, sites is where you can find me. Awesome. Well, um, thank you so much again for your time. And I really enjoyed your entire story. <laughs> Every, you know, but, all the tidbits, nuggets to take away from this. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Definitely enjoyed it. And uh, we'll be, we'll be following you along and, uh, and good luck at the big tens. And we'll see you in Bloomington That's here right. in a few weeks. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. Thanks. I'm, you'll see my stress then. So just know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but thanks for having me on and, uh, and keep in touch, guys. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Right. Awesome. Yeah, thank right. you so much. We'll see you. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. If you like this episode, please subscribe and consider leaving us a review so others can find us more easily. It really means a lot to us and it helps us get the word out. We are always looking for new stories to share on our show. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tell their story by nominating them on our website at sportfieldslife.com. Thanks for listening.